Welcome to Ag Credit Set It. In each episode, our hosts sit down with experts from all parts of the agriculture industry to bring you insights and must-have information on all things from farming to finances and everything in between. Welcome back to another great episode of Ag Credit Set It. I'm Matt Adams, an account officer with Ag Credit, and here again with me is the one, the only... Brenna Finnegan, also an account officer at Ag Credit. Brenna, how are we doing today? Good. You? I am excited, as always. A lot of great information we always put out for these podcasts. Uh, how's the winter treating you? How's uh, things on the family farm? Good. Parents are in Florida, so like everything's still running smoothly. Under under Brenna's control, it always runs smoothly, right? Doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we got some, uh, we got a great topic today, Brenna, talking about, uh, you know, we're getting closer to planting season, soil fertility, and everything that that entails. And we are meeting today with Don Daniels. Uh, He is the uh, Senior VP for Grain Sales and Marketing with Centera Co-op. And Brenna, why don't you go ahead and uh, let's get started. All right. Thank you, Don, for joining us. Go ahead and introduce yourself for everybody. So I'm Don Daniels. I'm the Senior Vice President of Feed, Grain, Sales, and Marketing at Centera Co-op. I've been in the uh, egg co-op, egg retail space for 35 years now. Started right out of high school at, here in Landmark over in Clarksfield, which is now part of Sunrise. Grew he, was, he was our agronomist when we were younger, so. Good, good long history, history there, huh? Oh, yes. There is. I, I grew up on a small farm in the southeast corner of Erie County. It's in Florence Township, and so I, I'm with your time in the industry, Don, you've probably seen a ton of changes come through. One of the big topics we want to touch on today is soil fertility. And I know there's probably going to be some rabbit holes and different avenues we're going to go through on this one. A lot of great information, but, you know, kind of kick it off here. You know, let's talk a little about soil fertility and really the importance of that when we're looking at as crop producers. So as I look at, at soil fertility and, and try to think of put it in some very plain terms that a lot of people will understand is, is think of it as a grocery store where the plant roots are going to go to get their supplies to, to eat and, and, and grow, just like we do as humans. We either grow our own food or those things that we don't grow, we go to the grocery store and get it. And that's those plant roots are going to the soil to get that, and that's where your soil fertility is all located in that. So soil is a living thing. It's, there's a lot of microorganisms and, and all that taking place underneath there. And you, you hear a lot about that today and, and soil health and regenerative soils and all of that. So in a nutshell, that's what I think of soil fertility. It's, it's just a grocery store where the, the plant roots get their nutrients from. So why is it so important for farmers these days to, to know what's going on in their fields as the season's going on? So there's, there's, there's a thousand variables that take place as that crop's growing, and, and, and you have to manage that. And uh, the, a lot of the things that I'd like to do with, so I still have a couple of producers that I take care of their accounts with, and I try to control what we can control, which we can't control the weather, but we can control the environment that we plant that crop into. You know, so, so the number one factor in raising a good crop is soil conditions at planting. So we spend a lot of time talking about making sure the soil is right, making sure you get it planted at the right depth, making sure you get that right 
hybrid or soybean varieties selected for the right environment to give it the opportunity to perform at its maximum performance. Um, a lot of planning that goes in really before the planter even rolls in that field. We want to make sure we have a lot of the variables. Like you says, I think as much as we can control, um, and that's where you guys probably come in too on that pre-planning stage to, you know, try and help pick them right uh, varieties and genetics to, uh, I know with, there's so many different types of things out there now. Probably try and tailor it to really fit each individual farm because I'm guessing one genetic does not fit the whole entire operation. Correct. And, and it may fit my operation, but maybe not fit yours. You know, I like to start that process in June and July. So let's put a let's put a get our rotation written down and get it identified for next year in June and July of this year, and let's get our hybrids selected. We'll tweak them come harvest time, but let's get that plan put in place because what that does for the producer farmer then is it gives them during the fall as they go to plots and, and, and evaluating hybrids, it gives them the idea to evaluate the hybrids they've already selected, and and firm up their decisions and their plans. And then come harvest time, you just need to make a few minor tweaks, but a lot of that really ought to be done in July. And a lot of folks think that's way too early. I understand what they're saying with that, but I think that's your best opportunity for success. Forward thinking. Yeah, controlling what you can control. Yep. So little scenario here. I'm a new farmer. Mm -hmm. I just bought a piece of ground. What do I do? I have no idea what this land can do or has done or this, that, or the other. So what do I do? Well, you always start with a soil test. That way it gives you a snapshot in time as to where it is today. You at least know how big your grocery store or your cart is at that point, as far as what you have, as far as your, your pH. And it all starts with soil pH when it, when it comes to your nutrients and availability. You know, so you just look at that and then talk, talk through what your goals are. Everyone wants to do something different with it. Some want to reach maximum performance, some want to reach maximum bushels. Some want to talk about maximum return on investment or some combination therein. Uh, there are some areas where it's just all about yield. They're going to do everything they can to produce as much yield as they can. And there's other folks that want to put in as little as they can. And as long as they have a little money left at the end of the year, they were a success. So part of our job is to help them succeed as they define it. I always think about that a little bit when people are renting ground. It's not necessarily there, so they might maximize while they have it, get it to, and it, well, I guess it starts to deplete over time when, after they've initially gotten it, and then they're like, oh, we're done with that one and move on. So then that person that's picking up that ground might have a lot of work to do in order to get it to its maximum capabilities, correct? Potentially, yeah. And as you go east or you get closer to towns and cities, that whole land rental thing becomes a totally different animal because sometimes it may not be in production agriculture in two years or in three years because it might be growing houses instead of corn or something. Oh, right. So we, we face face that, especially as you go further east and in Lorraine County, as you're aware. Yeah. You know, we talk about our soil tests. Um, you as an agronomist, I know there's different types of soil tests we can do out there where it'd be a grid sample or different types. What, what is, in your scenario, what is the best type of soil testing that a producer can do to, to, to get the most optimum 
you know, look on his farm? For the most optimum look, in my mind, I would, I would grid sample it probably on one-acre grids. If they've not had any history with it, I would start with two and a half because that's still going to be 10 or 20 times better than what they've been doing prior to that. If you've had a history and you've been through multiple cycles, which a lot of guys have at this point, I would break it down into one-acre grids. Okay. There's a, a lot of discussion out there about zone sampling and, and sampling by soil types. I've played around with that on a few different occasions, and, and we've grid sampled in one-acre grids, two-and-a-half-acre grids. We've sampled by zones, by management zones. And when you sat down and looked at it with the grower, we felt that the one-acre grids were the most representative of, of that field with input from the, from the grower. Gives you that best snapshot of that, of that farm. Especially when you're trying to decide what to do as you're going through the field. And with all the technology that's come into play and the ability to pinpoint certain things in certain parts of the field, I mean, it's been, I mean, to me, it just sounds like it would be a more profitable re- way of doing it, I guess. That would be your more precise way. Again, that's those one-acre grids in my mind are going to be for somebody that's been through several rotations of two-and-a-half-acre grids and have made multiple applications with their lime and P and K. Uh, you know, when you look at a yield map, it's, it's not always it doesn't always line up with the soil type. You know, there, there are just so many different factors as far as drainage and where the compaction zones are, where the organic level uh, changes. So it doesn't just necessarily change with the soil type. So that's where I think the one-acre grids, if you've not done anything at all and you want to spread your own fertilizer, then I'm going to tell you take pull soil sample based on 20-acre field size. Uh, If your fields are bigger than that, you're going to have to find a spot to to split that field. And there again, you want to make sure that that farmer is going to apply those two sides of that field separately. And the 20 acres also fits in with the H2 Ohio and a lot of the 4R requirements and all those things. So it keeps you in, uh, in range with, with some of those other guidelines that are out there today. So much, pretty much breaking in into zones mm-hmm. into each area. So, Don, you know, going in and looking at the 2023 crop year, um, our inputs continue to rise. So we are putting out a very expensive crop on our ground. And that soil test is giving us, as you said, it was giving us that snapshot, that baseline. Tell us what we're going to need. It's helping us also, I think, control those inputs a little bit with our inputs continuing to go up. So much money we're putting out on a per acre basis to raise this crop. How often should I be testing my farm? Or how often should a producer be test, soil testing his farm, and especially in a, such a high-priced input environment? So the general rule is every three to four years. If you've got some areas of your farm or if your entire farm is intensely managed and you can have the wherewithal to do it, there are some folks that are soil testing every year. Uh, again, it's, it's a snapshot in time. It's a living thing, so there's going to be some fluidity to that. Uh, the biggest thing in, in soil sampling in my mind is if you pull it into fall the first time, try to pull it in fall every time. Stay within the fall or the spring. Whenever you do it, try to stay in that same time frame of the year. Cause, okay. Because we do know that there will be some differences. Uh, like some areas of the state were extremely dry here this, this summer. And if, if you pull it in a dry year, we know that you won't, your, your potassium levels in particular, won't show as high when it's really dry. It's kind of like 1231 balance sheets. <laughs> 
we want them the same every year. <laughs> want them the same every year, so you get that same kind of time frame of information. It just works the same, you know, right back on the farm. Yep. Consistent time frame, getting the same information every year is just obviously it seems to help for financial reasons, soil fertility reasons, production reasons. It all makes sense. <laughs> Well, man, we've had some great information. We're going to take a quick break here on Ag Credit Set It, and we'll be right back with you with Don Daniels. Join us Wednesday, February 15th, 2023 at 7 p.m. for a free Weather Outlook webinar. We'll be featuring guest speaker Eric Snodgrass from Nutrient Ag. Eric will take a deep dive into weather patterns for 2023. Visit www.agcredit.net backslash webinar to register. Pre-registration is required, so register today. And we're back with Don. So, Don, we are diving deep into soil here, pretty much getting our hands dirty, right, Brenna? Pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, looking at soil fertility and everything that goes into it, when we start look, so we have that test in hand. We got, we have that plan. Good scenario here. We we met in that June, July timeframe, we kind of put a plan together. We got our soil test back. We're getting, say that March timeframe, you know, getting stuff ready. What plans of action do you want your producers to be doing in that time, getting ready to put that crop in the ground? If we had that soil test, we have our genetics picked. What's that next step we need to be looking for? So you'd be making your fertilizer applications at that point based off of your plan. And, you know, in today's environment, again, depending on cash flow, uh, depending on how well they did with marketing their grain, you know, we still have a lot of producers that are into applying what we call a build-up. So if the soil test levels aren't quite where we want them, we do have some folks that are applying some build-up. And we have an awful lot of folks that are just providing maintenance levels. And and we use the tri-state fertility guidelines for that to help guide that. And the recent ones that they came out with a couple of years ago actually reduced some of the crop removal uh, levels. And so you know, like for potassium, a bushel of soybeans used to remove 1.4 pounds of potassium for every bushel. Today, the new tri-state, it's only 1.1. So that has caused us to tweak those fertility recommendations a little bit lower based on the, the new tri-state fertility guidelines. What's, what's uh, drove those changes? Are we just because we're switching in my mind, would it be because we're not as much of a primary tillage to more of a no-till or minimum till setup, or we're leaving more of that organic matter in that ground, so we're adding some of that back a little bit? I'm not sure what factors Ohio State put into determining that. Uh, Some would suggest that the newer varieties are becoming more efficient in the use of the the nutrients we're using today. Okay. So, Don, you know, looking at uh, the past 2022 harvest here, we've had uh, exceptional yields, uh, I think, for a lot of the areas. But with exceptional yields this year came uh, another little uh, little present in our corn crop, um, uh, the nasty V word, vomitoxin. Can you go into a little bit about, is there is there stuff out there for the future that we can do to take care of this nasty vomitoxin a little bit? So there are some tools, I think, that can help with that. So again, when we think about a disease or any pathogen, uh, we need to think back to, to that whole disease triangle and that you've got to have a host or the pathogen present 
or the corn, the corn or soybean crop, you got to have the pathogen, you got to have the environment. And that creates what they call the disease triangle. And if any one of those three are missing, then you don't have an issue. It's just like a fire, you got to have the right amount of, of a combustible and oxygen in order for it to, to go. So uh, part of the problem, so today the, the biggest challenge with the vomitoxin is it's not, it's not a clear-cut deal. There's a lot of unknowns. And with unknowns and uncertainty causes a lot of questions and a lot of frustrations. That variability from load to load is, is one of the big frustrations. Um, and, and there are some differences amongst the hybrids. There are some things we can do to help mitigate some of that. And there are some things that we probably did to this year's corn crop that helped make it into the animal that it became. And that when we put a fungicide on corn today, generally speaking, we're putting a fungicide on corn for leaf diseases. Vomitoxin pathogen is the same pathogen that causes head scab in wheat. So that's a different class of fungicides. And what happens is, is the class of fungicides that we use for leaf diseases can actually agitate the vomitoxin and therefore make it worse. So we, certain things we're doing, we are actually intensifying our problem. Yes. Who knew? I mean, I wouldn't have ever guessed that. You'd think you're trying to solve a problem, and you're really and it's interesting. It up. You know, like you talked about that it's that same that's in our, our our head scab and our wheat too. That it's kind of carrying through on that. So with vomitoxin, I guess we'll go back. There's things we can do, but is it more mother nature driven that's going to give us that the intensified problem through the year? That there's probably only so much we can do as producers to try and mitigate the risk as much as we can. Correct. Mother Nature, at the end of the day, rules it all. And it's all about Mother Nature and the timing. Uh, the timing of when events happen. So it likes cooler moisture shortly after pollination. So, you know, when we think about moisture, we're, as, as a farmer, we think about rainfall. Well, it's not always about rainfall. It could be a lot of those mornings when we had heavy fog and that extended periods of leaf wetness or when it's wet out there until noon. That's a lot of high humidity environments. That's when that happens. Or sometimes some late silks will emerge, and then that's where it gets in as well. And then when you have that right environment, it just, it just makes it worse. Like a little breeding ground for it all to just blow up more. Yep. And, you know, and, then, and I think you talked about in your last podcast uh, with the grain fella from Mercer is that you know, a lot of those ears do stay upright. So some of those ears that we know that have that longer, tighter husk, we know some of those may be a little more susceptible. But a lot of those are also really good varieties that really produce really well. And we had the same hybrids last year. And we didn't have vomitoxin in them. Now this year we do. So is that a reason to kick that hybrid out? Maybe, maybe not. It depends on your environment. I mean, if you're just hauling grain to the elevator, it's not as high as a risk for you as, as it is if, if you're trying to raise hogs with they have a l very low tolerance to right. it. Right. Makes sense. I mean, like, uh, it, from year to year, never it's never going to be the exact same. It's always going to be changing. So Correct. Knowing all of that information and, you know, weighing your options, yield potential risk for a disease or uh, a fungicide pressure of some sort. It's also why we plant more than one hybrid on a farm. Exactly. I think it's one of those interesting. I didn't really think about that. I mean, as a farm, I'm thinking, well, it had to come from some of these big, heavy rains. You, you don't think about, uh, you know, these heavy, heavy dew mornings that stick around till sometimes after lunch. We've seen it, 
you know, so it's uh, that's that's interesting just to just to see the different uh, different characteristics that you know can happen out there in the field. So we need to think back. Two years ago was a heavy vomitoxin year. So so that pathogen is present in a lot of our fields. Now you mentioned you know we think the rains bring it in. Well, when you talk about northern corn leaf blight or tar spot, those do come in from with some weather events. And in Lorain County this year, we actually saw northern corn leaf blight show up in late July. It's the earliest I've ever seen it in my career. And I didn't believe it, but it was, it was northern. So, Don, go on, kind of talk about that timeliness a little bit of everything. Are you a proponent of early planning, late planning, or just whenever it's fit, you need to be out there? I, I hear so many different things. Uh, you, you, you talk to 10 different farmers, you get 10 different answers on on when you should be out there planting? I'm going to plant as early as I can plant, provided the soil conditions are right for planting. The double whammy right there that, for that you. Is. <laughs> so, I was always, always told soil temp. Pay attention to the soil temp when, it, when you're out there. I'm not going to discount that, but there's more that goes into it for me than just the soil temp, because it could still be soggy soils and still be warm. Correct. If, if, if the soil conditions are good, and the soil is not quite the magic temperature yet, and we have a good weather forecast in the next week and a half, I'm going to plant. The, the big thing for me is that first 24 to 36 hours after it seeds in the ground, because that, that first water that it's going to absorb from the soil profile is, is, is so important. It'd be no different than, than taking a young infant a day old and taking it outside on a cold winter day. It's not going to respond well. And that's what we're doing to those young corn or soybean plants. So going back on to 2023 with our input costs being higher, um, we also know that that's driving our, you know, our, our margins, our, our net margins on the farm are going to be tighter going into 2023. What are some things that you would focus on as an agronomist to that producer that, hey, we know net margins a little tighter. So, you know, do we, we hold back on that fertilizer a little bit to try and conserve some money, or do we still go off our soil test and try and hit that optimum crop for the yield potential we got out there? I think it's just, that's going to be a big question because we've come off of two years with good net margins on the farm. And we know as producers and lenders that their things are starting to tighten up. So I'm just curious what your take is on that as an agronomist. So my first take would be I, I did a budget here just a couple of weeks ago for a guy that plants corn about every three years. So I looked back at where his budget was three years ago. His fertilizer cost has doubled today what it was three years ago. But the bushels that he needs to break even are down 45 bushels to the acre compared to three years ago because the 2023 fall harvest price was five-something. Three years ago, it was 366. So the grain price makes a big difference still for us today. So there's still opportunities for profit. Yes, it's tight, and it gets scary because you're handling a lot of money. So there's a lot more money going into it. You have a lot more invested, so it causes a little bit more, you know, a few more sleepless nights probably for some. The other side of it is, again, depending on the goals and the situation of the farm, this might be a case where maybe we only put out crop maintenance only you know, based on what we anticipate the yield is or based on what our history has been. If cash flow is really tight and you've done a good job of 
of filling up your grocery store or your soil bank account, maybe this is a year you only put out part of it and then make maybe take a little removal. You know, make a withdrawal out of your soil bank account or pull something off that grocery store shelf without replacing it. So really sit down and prioritize, you know, what's important to you in the long run. Yep. Come fall. Yep. You know, when, when you're raising a corn crop, the one thing you can't, the one thing you can't shortchange is nitrogen. Yeah. I mean, you can in some areas, depend, again, depending in, on what a guy's done with this crop. If he's been heavy in the cover crops and growing his own nitrogen and all those things, yes, now you can, now you can tweak those things a little. But, okay. uh, you know, the average producer that that's, that's, hasn't made that investment in, a, in growing their own, then, you know, that's the one, the one nutrient that you don't shortchange. Okay, there's a couple options when it comes to nitrogen. What's your pick? Corn plant doesn't care. <laughs> Corn plant doesn't care if it's anhydrous or if it's liquid or if it's dry. It, it's all about getting it into the plant. It, it doesn't care. You know, if you're asking me as an applicator, I'm going to pick anhydrous ammonia because I use a third amount of the product. <laughs> True. <laughs> so now, obviously, talking about stuff like that, um, how has the supply chain issues affected the ability to attain some of these inputs for the coming year? So the coming year is a little bit easier on some things. On crop protection materials, it's a little easier in 23. Again, compared to 22, uh, it's still not great. You still need to have a plan B and in some cases maybe a plan C. A lot of places in ag retail have added warehouse space so that we can take more in. So it used to be a world of order it today, we'll have it tomorrow. That doesn't work today, so you you got to have it earlier now, which adds some expense for the the egg retailer now with with interest rates going up. So you got a lot more money invested in, in carrying costs and whatnot. But we've been trying to encourage our growers to anything that they can store on their farm and have possession, because that's nine tenths of the rule. Let's have possession. Let's get it on your farm. That way, we know what we're working with. Uh, right now, the biggest thing with fertilizer wise is is the river levels. You know, that's real. The, the, the water levels are low. That impacts is your, your freight for both grain and fertilizer moving up and down the river. you got to use smaller loads, and that adds more expense in, in the freight side of it. It's, it's about logistics, and, it, and it's a worldwide thing. I mean, you know, with, with as fast as news travels today, you know, something happens on the other side of the world, and we know about it in 30 seconds today. And, that, and, then, and then emotion kicks in. Uh, there's a lot of chaos and volatility, you know, on the flip side of that, where there's chaos and volatility, there's opportunities for profits for both the retailer and the farmer that's equipped and, and ready to make business decisions instead of emotional decisions. So Don, you said for 2023, not as big of a, uh, you know, problem for our supply chain. What are you guys seeing after 2023 into 2024? I know there's so many unknowns out there and there's so many variables, but is this, is this the new norm that we're going into where we're always going to be, have to be almost one step ahead just to make sure we have those, those products on hand? I think for the next two to three years, when it comes to crop protection products, it, it'll be the new norm as, as the basic manufacturers work to rebuild their inventories and, and, and rebuild their stocks. Now I say that on the other side of it, they've also learned as a basic manufacturer level that if they keep their inventories tight, 
they can command a little better price. So I don't know. I think it'll be a while before we get back to having a glut of product. Now, thankfully for us, going into the COVID time, we had that glut of product out there, or we wouldn't have made it through 21 and 22 as well as we did. So we just did a, uh, an, another podcast a little while ago with um, Zoe Kent, and she's on TikTok and all that kind of stuff. And I know we've, we're friends online and everything, and you've started doing your own type of videos, uh, uh, updates from the field or, or yeah. whatnot. Haven't done one in a long time. I, I've been reminded I need to get back to doing those. <laughs> Here's another reminder, right? Uh, that's actually what I was going to ask you. Are you planning to do that this coming season and yeah. keep it updated? Because I know last year you did a lot with um, cover crops. Yeah. So yeah. On, on the home farm, we've been pretty big in the cover crop pace just because our soils are, are classified as HEL, so they're highly erodible. And uh, just trying to make the soil better and put it back to the way it was and the way it used to be. With what we did, we did some some things that some of the neighbors looked at us and thought we were a little crazy and in some ways, we probably were, but that's also one of the advantages of, of being a small producer is you, you, can, you can do some of that. And we always experimented in the garden first. So we've got three acres of, of vegetables and just under that. And we figured if we made a mistake there or if something got away from us, we can go in there and fix it by hand because a lot of the garden is just that. It's all hand work. So we always started there and got in some crazy concoctions. Then we took it into the field level and uh, we, we hire... We hire our planting done, and the folks that do our planting would always be nervous coming in because we're plant. We were planting green. We're planting corn, no-till green, into some thick cover, and made them nervous. And they're like, "We're not nervous. Let's go." So uh, it, it worked out. We, we did some nitrogen trials. We did some nitrogen with, with zero nitrogen, just to see what a corn crop could grow with without any nitrogen. So we we learned a lot from it, and uh, still are trying to figure out how to do that at the garden level. It's a little bit different with sweet corn than this field corn. So I will get back to the field updates, and I just need to to make it a commitment to be better at doing that. I got a little tired this summer, and kind of that was the first <laughs> thing to go. Yep. Well, they are very informative and, and helpful to people, and I, I mean, I could see why people would log in or, or something to see an update as the season progresses. So. Well, Don, this was some great information today. I want to thank you very much for being a uh, part of our podcast. And uh, people can uh, look you up on Facebook. And uh, your company um, sure has a website, too, if they have any questions on soil fertility or different services that you guys might offer. Yes, centericoop.com. Uh, I'm listed in there. You just look under the R experts, and I'm listed there as well as a lot of our other folks. Very good. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening to another uh, great episode of Ag Credit Set It. Brenna, pleasure as always. Anything you got to, to close us out with? Well, if you want to find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, it's at Ag Credit. And you can also visit us at agcredit.net. And we'll catch you all next time on another great episode of Ag Credit Set It. Thank you for listening to Ag Credit Said It. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. While you are there, leave us a review to help others find the show. Let's talk ag in between episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag Credit. For more tips and resources, visit agcredit.net. <laughs>